This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 633 with Rajma Sajani. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 633. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Hello, mamas. Before we dive into this incredible conversation with Rajma, I want to just recognize one more time that we are celebrating the sixth year of the Shameless Mom Academy this week. And so I went on and on about how incredible you are all on Monday's episode. And I just wanted to one more time say thank you for being here, for showing up, for letting me be part of your life. It is an honor to live in your ear as you are walking and working out and taking care of babies and taking care of jobs and taking care of the world. It's just such an honor. And I appreciate you all so much, whether you have been here for the last six years or maybe just the last six weeks, or maybe this is your first episode. I'm so delighted and honored to be with in this with you. As I always say, delighted to be in this with you always. If you want to give us a little birthday gift to celebrate our sixth anniversary or sixth birthday of the Shameless Mom Academy, here's what you can do. You can leave us a review. It helps us in so many ways and it inspires me to keep going. Every time I read a new review and I read all of them, every time I read a new one, I am lit up by hearing how the show has impacted you. So if you go to shamelessmom.com slash review, you can rate the show on one to five stars. We always appreciate a five-star rating, of course. And then there's a little button right below your five-star rating where you can tap on write a review and then just leave a couple sentences to let me know how the Shameless Mom Academy has impacted you. It helps our ratings, like I said, and it also really lights me up and lifts me up as I continue to put out more content. 630-some episodes, 4.5 million downloads over six years, and we're just getting started. So thanks for being a part of it. And thank you for any words you want to offer in a review when you pop over to shamelessmom.com review. And now let me tell you about our incredible guest today. Rejma Sajani is a leading activist and the founder of Girls Who Code and the Marshall Plan for Moms. She has spent more than a decade advocating for women's and girls' economic empowerment, working to close the gender gap in the tech sector, and most recently, championing policies to support mothers impacted by the pandemic. Rejma is also the author of the international bestseller, Brave Not Perfect, and her influential TED Talk, Teach Girls Bravery Not Perfection, has more than 5 million views. 
She began her career as an attorney and Democratic organizer and now lives in New York City with her husband, her sons, and their bulldog, Stanley. I have been a longtime follower and admirer of Rejma's work and her relentless commitment to her mission. I saw that she had a book coming out and I did what I do and I did a little Instagram DM action and I thought this might be just the right time to invite her to come on the show. And I was so delighted when she said yes to this conversation. As you listen to Resma share how she sees the future of work for women and moms in America, I think you'll see yourself reflected over and over again as she offers story after story that illuminates the impossible expectations put upon moms over the last two years. Listen in to hear Rajma share what is the future of women in work and why is it different than we think? What women are looking for in an employer? The long-term significance of 2.3 million women leaving the workforce in the last year? Her Marshall Plan for Moms, what came out of it and why it's critically important in this historical moment? What all moms can do to be a part of the pay-up movement to push through change for moms and women in the workforce across the country. Why it's imperative that we not waste a good crisis. The constant cognitive dissonance for moms around being told we can have it all and not having access to having it all. And why she is critical of the feminist movement, but still a capital F feminist. Oh my goodness, this is a good one. I am so excited and so honored to welcome Rajma to the Shameless Mom Academy. Rajma, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be here, Sarah. This is going to be a lot of fun. I already told you, but I'm going to tell everyone else I've been bragging about landing this interview. <laughs> so, <laughs> so no pressure, but I'm really excited. <laughs> I'm excited to be here too. I've been an admirer of your work for a long time now, and it's fun when you watch someone's work and as they grow and evolve and their messages shift and change as culture shifts and change, you just become more and more of like a cheerleader and a champion of every single Instagram post. And so that's where I'm at a little bit. Like as your messaging has shifted and evolved over the course of the pandemic, I've just been like, oh my God, yes, yes, yes. To everything that you are sharing and developing and writing for the world. So this is going to be a really fun conversation digging into your new book and we're going to have a lot of fun. So let's go ahead and dive in. And I always ask this question at the beginning. So I want to hear a little bit about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. Oh my God. Well, I think I'm really excited that I have a girl's trip coming up because I'm exhausted. Um, But, you know, look, I think that there is also something really powerful that happens like when your personal and your professional lives combined. And that's really what's happened for me, you know, as I'm building the Marshall Plan for Moms and, you know, my new book, Pay Up, is that, look, I spent so much of my life advocating for girls, for undocumented immigrants, and I never expected to be fighting for myself, right? And the women around me who are going through the exact same thing. And it's kind of a rush to be able to translate something that you're living so personally into action. And as you know, right, especially when it comes to moms, it's like we have a movement for everything, for our kids, mm-hmm. get guns out of schools, so, you know, against drunk driving, but we don't have a movement for us. Right. And what happened, we're, we're seeing the ramification of that, like in this pandemic. 100%. So it's interesting. First of all, I just want to say, I'm so happy you're taking a girl's trip. We can't just <laughs> totally gloss over that because every woman mom needs that right now. <laughs> So that's amazing. Every weekend, right? Yes. Yes. Every weekend. Yes. Girls trip every weekend, Friday through Sunday, sometimes Monday. (laughs) So the other thing I want to touch on is I just recorded an episode about how moms don't need to be better moms, but we always put this pressure like, Oh, I just want to be a better mom. Or I think I should be a better mom compared to other people or how we see other people mothering. And I took this idea of this podcast episode out of a conversation that I was having with a client. And I was like, oh my gosh, like we cannot be carrying around this message about wanting to be better moms. We have to instead look at like, why do we carry around this desire slash burden that we should be being better moms when we should be putting up this call to society to be building better systems for moms. It's not about moms saving themselves and becoming better. It's about like, we have totally screwed up the way we've positioned mothers in the world. Absolutely. I always like, there's nothing wrong with you. Right. There's something wrong with society. And I think so much of that is because, and this is, I think, very deeply American. And, you know, when I wrote my book, I learned a lot about what other countries do and what they offer. And it's so Mm -hmm. wild that like we at the United States are at the bottom of everything. 
don't offer paid leave, country that has the most expensive childcare, you know, don't have a parental income or a child tax credit that's permanent, right? Because we have deeply embedded in our society that, you know, motherhood is a choice. And you don't get nice things, not from your partner, not from your employer, not from your government, because you chose to have that. So deal mm-hmm. with it. And so I think that we've, as moms, have like lived this life where we're like asked to be an ideal worker and an ideal mother. And both those things, quite frankly, contradict because there's only 24 hours in the day. Yeah, I totally agree. The idea that we, which I think started like between the 50s and the 70s, that like, yeah, we're going to let you have it all. Like it was this huge gift. Finally, the men were like, we'll gift you this. You can have it all. You can have a family and you can work full time. Like we're really going to make way for this to happen. Not a gift. If you only have 24 hours in a day to have two full-time jobs now, <laughs> like great that we can be in the workplace. And also like, where's the counterpart of support there? If that's going to be the thing where we're going to be given this position now, these opportunities. Yeah. I mean, this is why I say in the book, it's like, you know, having it all is really a euphemism for doing it all. Totally. But this is kind of what the gospel of professional ambition, you know, the big lies I talk about is really about. And, you know, I bought into that. Mm -hmm. This idea that if you lean in hard enough, if you get a mentor, if you get a sponsor, right, if you just try really hard, you know, you'll get the express train to the corner office. And that was never going to happen while we were still doing 86% of the unpaid labor at home. Right in feminism never reconciled, you know, this. And like you said, you know, for the, you know, we've been only in the workforce or fighting to be in the workforce for the past hundred years and workplaces were never designed for us. They were designed for men. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that in this moment that we're in right now with the great resignation and, you know, coming out of the pandemic, we're just, we really have an opportunity to finally make workplaces work for women. Yeah. Absolutely. I was actually just out with a friend last night who's doing a lot of work on this and she's like taking me under her wing as I'm getting ready to do some corporate training and facilitation. And we were having the same conversation about like things have to change. And we're at this really pivotal moment, which is exciting. And also like a big responsibility. And like, there's this sense of like nerves and excitement in the air, which is cool. So I want you to talk about and let us know what is the future of women in work and why is it different than we think? Because I think that we, well, I have like my own preconceptions that it's like, we just need to do more things, right? Right, (laughs) If I work harder, I can change. Let me change systems and policy on top of all the other things I'm already doing. (laughs) I mean, exactly. We said, sir, it's like when people think about the words future of women in work, right? The first thing they picture is this express train to the corner office. Right. If we just lean in and girl boss our way to the top, Mm. we'll shatter every glass ceiling and, you know, storm into the, you know, into the boardroom. But we're living in a very different reality. And we always have been. But over the past two years, right, we've had these historic numbers of women that have been pushed out of the workforce. And in many cases that happened because they didn't have access to affordable childcare, Right. Mm. Or because their load of like unpaid household labor just became too difficult to juggle anymore, you know, or because they're sick and tired of being mommy tracked or discriminated against, you know, when their kid interrupts their Zoom call. Mm -hmm. So they're just like, I'm done. And, you know, so women's progress in this moment, in our history, in our history of our nation, we're in a crisis, the largest exodus of women we've had in the history of our country. And so if we don't turn this car around, we're literally going to drive off a cliff. And so the future that I'm, you know, calling for and pay up is one that looks very different than the one I just described, right? It's a future where we have support from our employers, from government, from our partners. We have choices. We have the ability to, you know, exit and re-enter the workforce without losing 40% of our salary, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have to hide our motherhood and lie when we have to leave work because our child is sick or we want to go to a soccer game because we know we're going to be you know discriminated against that we're free from bias and our work as mothers is not seen as you know a distraction but actually like lifted up celebrated valued you know and a society where we stop asking women to do more and tell our institutions to pay up absolutely it's daunting, if not terrifying, when we think about the long-term significance of 2.3 million leaving the workforce in the last year. And when I started seeing the data come out on that, I immediately thought, well, then who's left? 
right. who's left if women are leaving, who's left and who's left in the position of decision-making when we already had like so few women being in the position of like really essential decision-making. So it's scary to think of what it could be like if we can't do a major rethinking of what women and of the future of women in work. Yeah. I mean, it's, we've lost so much. Yeah. So many senior women have exited the workforce, right? So we've lost that diversity, that in- innovation. And we're going to, I mean, if we were in offices and we walked around, you would really see the ramifications of what we're talking about. And, you know, even the women who have re-entered the workforce, you know, a lot of them are childless women. They're not mothers, you know, or mothers who have re-entered have downshifted their career. So they're mm-hmm. not in the same job that they were in when they were pushed out. Or they're coming with so much mental you know, health stress, depression, anxiety, you know, that we're just constantly on, you know, the breaking point. But, you know, it's funny, Sarah, as I look around, I just don't feel like people are screaming it from the mountaintop. Mm-hmm. You know, we're almost, you know, at the two year anniversary of COVID. And when you think about it, nothing passed in Congress, no paid leave, no affordable child care. You know what I mean? No child tax credit. You look at companies. It is not like there's been a wake up call on flexibility or. Right you know, remote working, you know, it's not like there's been an uptick in like paid leave benefits or companies are now saying, well, let me pay for your childcare. You know, you look at even our partners and a lot of women I talk to that send me messages, it's they don't feel like the equation has shifted at home. And we're not even talking about single moms, which are almost, you know, three out of every 10 families. And the fact that they have no support structure, right? And that, I mean, think about being a single mom in this moment with school closures you know, and the oh new global and how you're now, nav- I mean, I had a mom, you know, text me and just say, I just had two twins or, you know, and like I had to do a zoom call presentation and she's like, they start, one of them start crying and the other one started crying. She said, and then I just laid on the floor and started crying with them. Yeah. And so 100%. this is happening in every household in America and nobody has a plan or really it's like, I almost also feel like the empathy two years later, she's not there anymore. Yeah. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, 
It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. It is also, I would say, it's heartening when you're in a group of women And I'm in groups of women like this, where we're like, yes, like this is what needs to change. And this is who needs to listen. And this is what we need to do. And you can get support within your own echo chamber, right? So you're like, we all know how to solve this problem. And then it's so disheartening to see that, like you go from that extreme of support and excitement and ideation to what's actually happening or actually not happening in terms of policy and big companies leading the charge and all that. And so there's these like two extremes where you have these circles of women who are like, yes, we're here for it. And we want to be the change, even if it's completely exhausting and burns us out. And then you have policy that's just like, yeah, that's cute. Yeah. But you know, what's interesting though, Sarah, it's like, you know, part of what I think within government, it's just like moms were exhausted. Yeah. And I would hear senators be like, well, why aren't moms showing up to Congress? Because we're tired. <laughs> we're taking care of our kids. Right? right. And so, you know, again, when government is mostly made up of men who have oftentimes stay at home wives or, you know, or don't have young children anymore, don't understand. It's like, all right, I get it. Maybe I'm not happy about it. I'm pissed about it. But with companies, I think that this is where the opportunity is, because with the great resignation and the talent drain, you know, a lot of women, you know, are as they're thinking about reentering, you know, are thinking about it with their feet. They're looking for the companies that are going to offer them flexibility. They're looking for companies that are family friendly. They're looking for companies that are going to think about their child care, right, where they have supportive environments where they can thrive both as a mom and as a worker, And so I do think that we have to figure out how can we, and that's what pay up is about in this book is about is one, I think really saying to moms and saying to working women and even young women who don't have children or may never have children, Mm -hmm. you deserve choice. You know, talk about the national birth rate, right? It's like, we've had the lowest birth rate in the history of our nation because I know so many young women look at me and say, you know, looked at me on Zoom, exhausted, tired of a six-year-old, two-year-old and said, oh, no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That's not fair. Like you should be able to live in a society where you have choice to decide whether you want to or don't want to have children. And mm-hmm. we've taken choice away from young women. So again, I think that women are, are ready, but I think one, we have to really lay it out for them about that you deserve things. Because I think for so long, you know, I had a friend of mine say to me, she was, you know, taking her morning yoga class and the yoga instructor, you know, came in the morning and she just said, you know what? ladies, I can't do my seven o'clock, you know, class anymore because my husband's a jerk. And, you know, like I just don't have child and I lost my sitter and I don't have childcare. And afterwards, my friend Mara went up to her and she said, you know, do you know about this plan that's happening in Congress, this Build Back Better plan? She said, oh, you know, and the woman said, well, oh, the one that's going to, you know, build roads. And my friend was like, no, 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 the one that's going to like make childcare affordable and give paid leave. And she's like, oh, I didn't hear about it. So like so many women don't even know. Yeah that they're, the structure is, they know something's wrong, but they think something's wrong with them, that totally. they can't handle it. Right. That they we just have, have to quote unquote, be a better mom or try harder or correct. push through or hustle just through this season, which is like never ending season. Right. And no, our, you know, we got our country has to serve moms better. Our employers yeah. have to serve moms better. Our partners have to be more supportive, right? Like, so it's not about us. It's about everyone else but us, right? In many ways. And I think just really giving women the permission to say, you know what, I deserve this and I'm going to fight for it. And I think doing it collectively, you Mm -hmm. know, because that was one of the things when I was writing the book, Sarah, I was like, I don't want to tell every woman, like, come march with me, protest. It's like, it's not fair because we're so tired. Yeah. Can you talk about the Marshall plan? Because I saw you launch the Marshall plan for moms on Instagram. And I was like jumping up and down with my phone in my hand in the middle of my office. (laughs) And if I recall, you took out a page in the New York times to do this. 
Yeah. So talk about what you did, what the Marshall Plan for Moms is, and then the significance of the name as well. Yeah. I mean, I was running, you know, Girls Who Code and so much of my team are, are working mothers and all of us were just exhausted and done at the end of the day. And I remember some of us would be like, you know what, when the schools open, things will be fine. And then when September came around, the schools didn't open and we got some notice about hybrid learning where you would have to log on your kid at you know eight o'clock, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, all the while maintaining your job. You saw 12 million women at the beginning of the pandemic leave the workforce, yep. right? Like overnight. Overnight. And there was no plan. I didn't hear the government talking about it. I didn't hear companies talking about it. So as I talked to the women in my PTA and I said, well, what do you need? to go back to work. What I heard were some really simple things like one, I need cash, right? I need money to help make these, you know, pay for my babysitter, pay for a tutor, buy some shoes, put food on the table. You know, I heard I need childcare to be affordable. I need schools to reopen. I need paid leave. I need my job's been automated because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I need retraining. And so, you know, I wrote an op-ed and then we followed it up with a full page ad to Joe Biden, to President Biden, who was entering his first hundred days and said, we need a Marshall Plan for moms. And the name Marshall Plan was, you know, came because the Marshall Plan was originally enacted, you know, in the United States after World War II to help, you know, salvage Western Europe. And the war, right, had literally bombed out cities and towns, like decimated the economy, caused like 85 million deaths, right? And like badly damaged the psyche, right, of millions of survivors. And so the Marshall Plan was a call for like this historic investment, like a 360 plan to help the world heal. And when you look around at the destruction and the havoc that the pandemic has, you know, wrapped on our society and on moms, you know, I wrote an op-ed saying, what's our plan? You know, we took it out in the Times. We had 50 activists, celebrities, corporate leaders, and it called on the administration to step up, one, to pay moms for their unpaid labor you know, in homeschooling our kids, sacrificing their paid work for, you know, unpaid work, you know, and essentially in saying that moms function as America's social safety net. And it's not right. And it's time to pass like long overdue policies like affordable childcare and paid leave. You know, it was this wild idea, but when we launched it, it was just like everywhere. Women were like moms, women, moms, our male allies were like, yes. You know, and it led to some really powerful results. You know, we got the child tax credit passed, which were essentially direct payments to parents. We had a handful of bills passed in Congress and, you know, in different states. It led us to create this playbook, right, which are like what moms need, you know, in the workforce. And it's really it is what has inspired this book in saying it's not just government, but it's also the private sector that has to yeah. step up and help rebuild. Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about what can moms who are listening do to put out a call to action in their community slash work environment? And like, how can we be carrying your message from the Marshall Plan for Moms into our community in different ways? Well, you know, what we're calling on moms to do is, you know, be pay up advocates. First, you know, pick up the book and say, okay, what can my employer do? What are the things that I should be asking for? What are the things that I can rally around to help start redesigning workplaces to actually work for women? And so it is, you know, it's like, should I be asking for affordable childcare? Should I be asking for my company to help subsidize a form of my childcare? Should I be asking my company about not only do you offer paid leave, but do you offer it for the women that are hourly employees? Do you encourage men to take it? Or do I work in a culture where we gaslight men when they actually take it because we want men to take it because if they take it, we'll get to gender equality at home. Is this a company that supports flexibility? Is this a company where I have to actually hide being a mother? Yeah. You know? And so it's starting to basically look and ask, either look for workplaces that are starting to shift, you know, or ask the place that you work for the things that you need to basically thrive. Yeah. Like opening up the conversation, which can be scary, but also it sounds, I want to say sometimes people don't know what they don't know. And it's frustrating that a lot of men in power still don't know what they don't know about women and moms in the workforce, but it's also yeah. the truth. And so like for moms who can step up without, if there's not risk of job loss or retaliation, yeah. 
Um, and that's like, we can, you know, dig into that in a second, but for moms who are, where it's safe for them to speak up and kind of open up those conversations to just create awareness around how really difficult, if not impossible, it can be at times and what is on the line and what's at stake for moms in the workforce. And I think so many mother, so many of us, right. We rather, and it's, you're seeing this, I mean, the great resignation is also the great quit. Mm-hmm. It's like, we'd rather quit than ask for what we need Yeah, because we've been so made to feel that we should be martyred. <clears throat> that we don't get to ask for these things. yeah. And so this is also why we really want to rally women who don't have children, you know, to be saying, well, what's your paid leave policy? How does your workplace support mothers? Is there a motherhood penalty? Do you have transparency and pay? You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. do moms and dads make the same? Men should be asking these questions. I was just going to say, we should also be asking our partners in their workplaces to start those conversations because it's safer for them to do it. Well, I also know a lot of men who quit their jobs because they wanted to work from home, but they didn't have the courage to ask for that because they were gaslit at work, which is true, right? We live in a culture that's, you know, you have a lot of companies who like want to tout their paid leave policies, but like discourage men from actually taking it. And it's not yeah. a straight up thing. It is a cultural thing. Totally. But we know that the data shows that when men take care of their kids, they live longer, they have lesser diabetes, heart attacks, et cetera. It's good for them. Mm-hmm. And so we all, I think collectively in society want the same thing. You yeah. know, we want to be able to have, not have to choose between both parts of our identities. And so I think it's something that we have to collect. And that's what pay up is about. It's not just written for working moms. It's for everyone. Yeah. And it's for employers and employees to say, you know, I was like, don't waste a good crisis. Like if we we build our workplace, what do we want it to look like? What do we want to have? What are the values that we want to have? You know, because we're now reaching a point where it's not just we got to think about the recovery from the pandemic. Mm-hmm. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers. On an adventure through time, packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up, and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where, as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever, and your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you, and you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. I love that. Don't waste a good crisis. <laughs> I mean, there's like, we could, use, I'm going to start just using that because there's so many ways we could use that in mothering, whether it is in the workplace, whether it is when your toddler's having a tantrum, whether it's when yeah. you have a fight in your marriage, <laughs> there's just always this place for, instead of just pushing through and getting over it to like stop for a second and look back and say, what do we need to take from this? Like, where did everybody screw up? Where did we drop the ball? How can we make it better? How can we heal? How can we grow moving forward? I think that's such a brilliant question to ask. I think women are there. I mean, I think we're going from rage to power. And I think we're recognizing that like, for me, the biggest era, I think the biggest aha for me was 
school closures and the design of hybrid schooling. And I so naively thought that my principal would send me an email saying, hey, Reshma, I know you have a full-time job. Can you log Sean on at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. No one asked. And the data for years, because you know, in the United States, we do time and use surveys, have been clear as to who does the cognitive domestic work. We Mm -hmm. knew that it wasn't dads that were going to log on their kids on Zoom. It was moms. And the data bear that out, 86%, right? So the fact that we knew that we would just do it and that we knew that we would do it, they knew that we would do it at a cost to our careers, to our mental health. And now two years later, nothing has changed. Nothing has been done. Nothing has been passed. Nothing has been implemented. Even our employers are like, well, come back to work. Well, guess what? Half the daycare centers are shut down. Mm-hmm. And there's a global bear. And, and my son was quarantined for a week last week, right? And we're just expecting women to navigate emotionally, mentally. I was just going to say, like that being on guard emotionally and mentally that your childcare could be pulled out from under you at any given yeah. moment. And the mental health of depending on your child and their needs the mental health of your child having to quarantine for multiple weeks, which is an issue in our household. If my child is not around other children for a couple of weeks and he's an only child, so like to know at any given moment that there can be a shift around that, that is so much to carry for two years. And there's no recognition of the trauma that we've been enduring right. on a daily basis. And now the aftermath, you know, my mm-hmm. son is seven, definitely has anxiety, chews on his clothes all the time. Mm. You know, it has a stomach ache. We know what that's from, anxiety. My two-year-old can't talk and is like 0% birth weight. I have like a gastrologist and like a speech therapist. Mm -hmm. So it's like, these are the effects of the pandemic on our children. And of course, I'm bearing that, right? And so many moms Mm -hmm. are everywhere. So like for our workplaces to not think about, okay, Sarah is an exceptional worker. She's brilliant. She's ambitious. I want her to stay. How do I create a structure for her, right? Where, or how do I give her supports and benefits to acknowledge what she's been through and what she's going through? And we've done none of that. And it's, and again, that's why this book's called Pay Up. It's because we've, you know, assumed that that is not anyone else's problem, but ours. Yeah. And, you know, and we've lived, you know, and it's our shame, right? If our partners aren't doing half, that's my problem. It's my shame. If I can't live on four hours of sleep, that's my problem, right? If all of this is something I have failed as a mother or failed as a worker, right? Mm-hmm. And so what do we do? We opt out when we can, or you know, we take on enormous responsibilities you know, to the sacrifice of our mental health. Yeah. And it's crashing down now. Oh, 100%. Yes, it's definitely crashing down. And the fallout will be long-term, I mean- yeah. The crash is being just, being, it's like it's crumbling yeah. right now. And like the crash will continue for a very long time. Yeah. Okay. So what about moms who are not in office environments? So stay at home moms or moms in lower wage jobs who are like listening and cheering and then like, but how do I make my voice count? Or how can I be part of the change or who's fighting for me? Yeah. I mean, first of all, it's like, we are all working moms. Yes. Right? 100%. At end, call an end to the, like the freaking mommy wars, right? We are literally yes. all working. And, you know, I think, again, the stay-at-home mom versus working mom distinction is a product of the fact that we live in a society where it's so difficult to do both. And Mm -hmm. a society that doesn't allow women to make choice to move in and out of the workforce without penalty. You know, at some point, all of us should want to stay at home if we want to. And all of us should want to work if we want to, right? And so the vision of this book is to really basically transform workplaces and public policy and culture so that women truly have choices, you know, and choices are respected. You know, how many stay-at-home moms, right, are tired of being treated like all they do, that what they do all day long isn't work? Every hand raised, right? Totally. Moms want to take time out, but they're afraid that, you know, if they do, it's too hard for them to re-enter. Every hand raised. Yeah. You know, and for those that are working in like low-wage industries, like these policies, you know, that we're fighting for are going to apply to them tenfold. You know, these are the women that have no safety nets, no support system. Was, yeah, the right? chi- where the childcare issue becomes yeah. so critical. Huge. I mean, I've talked to moms who like had to leave work to, you know, pick up a laptop for a child and got fired, yeah. you know, or don't have, you know, we talk about this in our, in, you know, or don't have, you know, what they want is, you know, reliability. 
you know, and the fact that like have show up for a shift and then it's canceled and then they're out money, right? Or have to go to have their kids in night daycare because they had to take it the third shift. Mm-hmm. It's like, we're constantly asking women to choose between their families and their paychecks and it's wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And if the other piece that with the childcare part that makes it so difficult, and I know I've talked to moms who have been in this situation is when you opt to walk away from work for a while because you don't have chi- affordable childcare or you just don't have any childcare options or you need someone to be at home helping your three children with online school and they're in like kindergarten, first grade and third grade um, and can't be fully independent. You have moms who are walking away from careers, whether they think it's temporary or not, and they're completely losing their sense of identity around that career. And so like there's huge impact with that as well. Like that's a whole nother layer of trauma. Oh yeah. The amount of women whose dreams have been like deferred, lost. I mean, I had so many women who were like, you know, trained to be a nurse and Uber drive and they had to start Uber driving and just like had to basically let go of that dream Yeah, because they're the ones in the family that are expected to sacrifice and just the identity, Mm -hmm. you know, the identity of having this job and having your family be proud of you. And like, you know, being able to like, have your own independence and so much of that being taken away with, from you. I mean, so it's not even just like the being in the workforce or not being in the workforce, but the downshifting Yeah. and the fact that we live in a society where there's pay inequity. So when you're in a two person household, guess who's going to step back from their job? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we are, it's the same thing, you know, during the pandemic, who had the best space, you know, zoom office space in the house, the man. <laughs> Because his job mattered more because he made more money. So or who had a room, a place in the house where they could close the door. Door. Yeah. And all of this, again, is it makes you feel bad because it's like your value, yeah. you know, and you don't, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, I think that there was the empathy about like, you know, they had that study, right? Of that, like moms are interrupted more than dads. Mm-hmm. And so there was, this, oh, that's cute. Now it's not cute anymore. Yeah you're seen as being not committed to your career or not committed to your job. So again, I think the fact, and I think there's, I don't know about you, but like I scream at my kids more than I want to. Oh my God. Yeah. I just did a whole interview about how easily triggered, like the fragility right now of parenting. But so it's like every day I feel like a horrible mother and a horrible worker. Yeah. I'm doing neither one well. And I think the trauma of that, and you feel so guilty and horrible all the time. And I do think that like, and I talk a lot about my marriage. I'm sure like my husband's going to have lots of, I'm like, you got to read this book because you're in it. <laughs> but I think for better or worse. What was definitely harder for me with Nahal was that, you know, before pandemic, I was like, well, maybe he doesn't know that I'm the one always packing the diaper bag, or maybe he doesn't yeah. know that like I'm the one paying attention to whether they grow out of their shoes or their clothes, or yeah. maybe he doesn't know that like, you know, that doctor's appointment, I'm the one who scheduled it. But then, you know, we're all living under the same house and he knew, he saw me doing the laundry in between calls. He saw mm-hmm. me unloading and loading the dishwasher. He saw me ordering the groceries and ordering the clothes and, you know, all of that and taking care of our elderly parents and like his to-do list didn't get bigger and he right. didn't say, oh, I got, let me get that. Right. And now it has, cause now I'm writing about it, but do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like, that, I guess I'll step up now. Yeah. That made you feel really bad too. Cause it's mm-hmm. like, gosh, no one really cares about me. Do they? Not the government, yeah. not my employer, not my part, not even our kids, you know? Yeah. And I feel like there's this huge cognitive dissonance around being told that we can have it all. Cause it's what we've been sold now for like 50 years or 70 years or whatever. So we've been sold for this long amount of time, an entire generation or multiple, um, around like you can have it all. And then you're like the access to having it all right now is like, you cannot have it all like that when we giving up careers or when you're like, Oh, but having it all means to your point, like my version of having it all is that I'm doing all of the all things of while yeah. my partner's like, huh, I guess she's just doing all of the things. <laughs> just, you're so great. You're better at it than me. You can bounce. <laughs> I mean, but this is why I was like, having it all is just a euphemism for doing it all. But totally. there, are, there are words we have to banish. Yeah. In 2022. We should never say the word having it all. Yes. We should never answer the question to how do you have work-life balance? Mm, right. You know what I mean? We have to literally balance the corporate feminist vocabulary that we've had for so long. 
you know, because learned we can't girl boss and lean in our way to the top. It is a lie. And it is a, that is an equality that we will never have until we really start dismantling the gender equality that we have at home. And the thing is, is that a lot of these corporate policies, and this is what I've been talking to CEOs about and managers about is like many of the policies that we have actually exacerbate the gender inequality at home. There is no need to not to have a separate maternity and paternity policy. There's no need to give women 12 weeks and give men two weeks. Right. We all should be gender neutral because you, we know it's like that first couple of weeks that decides everything. Totally. Who takes leave? Who doesn't take leave? How many weeks are you up? Because same thing that, I mean, the motherhood penalty. I mean, the reason why so many men don't take time off is because they see what happens to women when they do. Oh yes. I was just thinking how much the motherhood penalty would shift if all of a sudden, especially if it just happened in a short amount of time, all of a sudden in 2022, if this massive amount of men started taking 12 weeks off when babies were born, like that penalty would just, it would go away. The conversation would be so different. And not only would mothers not experience that, but all of a sudden it would be like, men really need some support. Like when they come back into the workplace, there would be like this call for like, let's support the men, (laughs) which would be like maddening. That's that what it would take that. And also like, hallelujah. Yes, 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 yes. It would change everything. But this is the thing, like little things. Yeah. Little things that mandating it, tying it to your performance, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, and we see that with some of the mental health stuff that we know that when companies invest in in people's mental health, that like people are more focused, they're more committed, they feel better, the attrition rate goes down. You know, all of these are real, like you can put a dollar amount on all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So don't think that workplaces that were only, were really designed for men, that were never designed for us, And it's funny because for the, you know, ever since we have been in the workforce, right, for a hundred years or whatever, we've thought that we had a shot at equality and we never did. Right. Never did. Right. Never. We've been playing a rigged game the entire time. Totally. Totally. So I know in the book, you're critical of the feminist movement. Do you still consider yourself a feminist? Oh my God. I consider my feminist with, you know, a capital F. But I think it's Love really, it. you know, it's really important to think about, like, to be critical of the movement in that, you know, it's really encouraged us to measure our success as, you know, women on one yardstick, you know, equality at home. You know, when I even started, when I when I first proposed the Marshall Plan for Moms, I got a lot of criticism, you know, or I should say traditional feminists often like lost their minds and accused me of wanting to like pay women to stay at home as if there was something wrong with women who did stay at home, you know, and it was as if like the thought of valuing and compensating household work was the greatest threat they could imagine to the feminist project. And that really drove home for me that there are a lot of feminists who just didn't think or see childcare and household labor as having value, you know, or at the very least didn't think that the possible, you know, externality of women opting to stay home was palatable enough to justify compensating them for it. And we wonder why we don't have affordable childcare. We wonder why we don't have the child tax credit permanent, right? We wonder why, because we as women have never fought for these things. In fact, we have judged them and judged yeah. women who made different choices. Yes. Shame. Yep. Which goes back to mommy wars. Like, yeah, yeah we've definitely, it's easy to blame men. <laughs> And on top of blaming men, we could also like take some responsibility ourselves as well. I mean, absolutely. And again, it goes back to the fact that like, you can look back on our own movement and say, huh, we should have done that differently. It was really powerful women for wages, housework movement, you know, that was fighting for this of putting literally a number on our unpaid labor, you know, and it's not a crazy idea. And I think just mm-hmm. understanding why it is important to recognize unpaid labor as work. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my goodness. I want everyone to get the book. I want everyone to get pay up the future of women in work. This conversation has been so good. So enlightening, like light bulb moments every few minutes. I'm, I know people are taking notes and what I love is that we've, I think given some great ideas for how people can start the conversation, be in the conversation, open up the conversation, lead the conversation, um, which hopefully then empowers people to, lead the change and open the door to change and really be creative around what this could look like and how we can create something totally different, which I think is so important. Can you tell people how you're currently showing up as a shameless mom, Rajma? (laughs) 
Well, I do think Failure Friday every week where I talk about a failure. Because I think it's so important to like be authentic about how hard it is. And that it's, you know, like so much of I think of this perfect mom is like Instagram's fault, right? These carefully Mm -hmm. curated, you know, pictures and stories. And that, you know, that's not the truth. And so my Friday fail is just an example for me to be honest, you know, with moms. And so we don't feel like we're alone or we're the only one or that we're a bad mom. Right. I love it. I feel like everyone needs to be curating their Friday fail. (laughs) Friday failures. So good. Okay. Where can people find you, get the book, stalk you down on the internet and on Instagram, like I do all the good stuff. Go to your favorite, you know, independent women bookseller and buy pay up. Yes. We need to be supporting women booksellers, you know, and women of color booksellers right now. You know, you go to my website, reshmasajani.com and buy the book and buy the book, not just for you, but for, you know, the people in your life, the men in your life, your daughter, your employer, everyone. This is our moment, right? To like ignite this movement and make workplaces finally work for women. Absolutely. Which makes them work for everyone. It makes them work better for everyone. So good. Rejma, thank you for being here. I'm so, so grateful for your time and your brilliance. And I'm so excited about this book. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You are a force, my friend. You are a force. So I'm just so grateful for the work that you're doing and putting out into the world. Thank you for the work that you're doing, uplifting these ideas and uplifting women, moms who are, who are are fighting for change. So thank you. Talk soon. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review. That will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be Shameless Mom of the Week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.